Welcome to the Aurora Cornerstone Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We hope today's message is an encouragement to you. I invite you, would you turn your Bibles to Psalms 84? It's the text that we have been on for the last two to three weeks. Psalms 84. We are on a session called Reignite, oh God, reignite a fire inside. Reignite a fire of your spirit. Take us back to something hot instead of lukewarm, coasting through mundane things of our Christian faith. If it's become mundane, it doesn't have to be. It does not have to be. Psalms 84, the psalmist was saying, How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints. For the courts of the Lord, my heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. If you were, you'd go down to uh, verse, uh, go down to verse ten. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand anywhere else. Wow, that's that says a lot, right? Than a thousand in one day in your courts than a thousand anywhere else. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God then dwell, dwell in the tents of any wicked. And then right after that, it says, for the Lord God is a sun and shield. And here it is. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold. The Lord bestows favor. No good thing does he withhold. The title of what I want to share today is God's favor. Father, We open our heart to understand this word. We open our heart to understand what your spirit, I believe, is attempting to say to us. Give us ears to hear what your spirit says this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord. My soul pants to be in your courts. It rolls off the tongue pretty quick and easy. But living it and finding ourselves there is very different. That frequently, truth be told, our souls are not necessarily panting for the courts of the Lord. Perhaps something else, perhaps we're panting for Toronto Maple Leafs to at least win one game in this series. Right? Um, maybe panting for the next job, a better job. If you're young or young adult, panting for the right wife, the right husband, a family. Those are all good things. Those are good things. Even I think it's even a good thing for Toronto to win too. But what is it like to pant for the courts? Of the Lord. I'm going to suggest it changes everything. I think maybe one of the significant problems in the house of God today is that we've lost, or maybe never had, a stir in our heart, a hunger. Somewhere in the scripture, doesn't it say, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Delight yourself. That, that's actually, this year, that's been one of my 
leading scriptures. When I get up in the morning and I feel groggy and starting into the day, and of course I do a lot of church work. But God, I just don't want to do church work. I want to delight myself. I want to have fun doing it. I want to thoroughly, absolutely enjoy you. Can we enjoy God? Is it possible? Last week I was talking about, and this is about developing relationship with the Lord. And last week uh, I said with relationship comes access, with intimacy comes influence. With relationship comes access, with intimacy comes influence. The closer you are in relationship to someone, the more intimate you are with someone, meaning you are closer to the inner circle of that person, the more influence you have on them. Is that not correct? So think of uh, people who are in the outer peripherals of your friendship. They can ask so much from you. Those that are maybe close, kindred friends, they can ask more. Because of the invested relationship you have with them. Those you are intimate with typically can ask a lot. Because of their proximity to your heart. With relationship comes access and with intimacy comes in. You see, they're close. You have influence. You have influence. Is it safe to say the greatest influencer on our prime minister is his wife? The greatest influencer on the president of the United States is his wife. Those that are closest, those that are closest have the greatest influence. With relationship comes access and with intimacy comes influence. Whispered words from the place of intimacy are more powerful than shouted petitions from the outer court. You can go through all the accolades of screaming and dancing and shouting and all that stuff from the outer courts. You don't have a, it can be loud and it can be noisy and it can be flamboyant, but it'll come nowhere near than if you are the inner chambers. A whisper, because of your proximity, will have greater effect than the shouts from a distance. I think we're touching in on Psalms 84. How lovely is your dwelling place? I long for the courts of the Lord not to stay at the gate. I long because it says that I would know him. That I would have your favor. I'm on a journey into the heart of you, God. He desires, we need to know this, he desires relationship. He does not want to hold you at a distance. If we, if we believe that, then I invite you to read again the Gospel of John. Because John the Beloved, who would be the one who out of the 12 would actively pursue to get closest to the Lord. Now, he was the youngest. Maybe he just didn't know the protocol. But he pursued the heart of God. And in the Last Supper, he was right there next to Jesus, leaning on Jesus. Peter, the flamboyant one. When asking a question at the Last Supper, looked to John and said, John, would you ask him? Not because Jesus wouldn't listen to Peter. He did. But John had earned the place next to Jesus. Jesus didn't pick favorites. But his favor flows to those that are close. You have his 
ear. Uh, prioritize his presence. Work on your relationship with God. Listen to this. Never forget that when you seek his face, he remembers yours. Wow, you can write that one down. Never forget that when you seek his face, your face, O oh Lord, when you seek his face, he'll remember your face. Not about favorites. It's about your pursuit of him. And that's on you. That's on you. That's not on him. He's already made himself fully, absolutely accessible. And he invites to come. And I began to just think through this. Even this morning, before I came here this morning, I was thinking Old Testament, even New Testament people who this has been true with. And I go back to Genesis chapter 18 to Abraham, the father of the faith who you know, Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them, so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. Remember that song? And so Abraham, when the Lord visited him, Abraham pursued him. It says the Lord began to walk away, and Abraham got up, and he, he didn't chase after him. He walked with him. He wanted to be near him. And then from that relationship, the Lord turns to Abraham and says, from your lineage, from your lineage, the seed the Savior will come. Favor, favor from his proximity. I think of Abraham's grandson, Jacob, and the story where he wrestled with God all night long. All night long. Bible says he wouldn't let him go. He was pursuing him. And out of that, God spoke to Jacob, blessing, your name will be changed. To Israel. Favor based on his pursuit. Moses, Moses, the children of Israel coming out of Egypt, and God invited them to come to the mount, to come up to be with him. And the children of Israel, the people of the people of God, said, We don't want to go. Moses, go in our place. Their mistake. Go in our place. Go in our place. Now, we know why, because they still had one foot in the world and one foot toward God, because while Moses was gone, they went back to the worldly things. While Moses went close, so close was he that Moses asked that, or, yeah, asked that crazy, audacious question, God, can I see your face? <laughs> he didn't realize that Isaiah talked about it. Flesh melts like wax in the presence of the Lord. Moses, do you realize you just act? You, anybody see the first of the, uh, of the Ark of the Covenant with uh, Harrison Ford? And Remember that first one, uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark? And, and the guy whose face, you know, it freaked me right out when that happened. Uh, flesh melts like wax in the presence of the Lord. Moses says, God, I want to see your face. God was not displeased with it. God was thoroughly pleased with the request. It just couldn't happen. God says, you know what? I'll let you see, por I'll let you see the portion of me. And having seen that, Moses came down. They had to throw something over his head because he glowed. Who says you can't pursue the heart of God? Who says you can't pursue even his face, if you would? And that that doesn't stir his heart. When you seek his face, he remembers your face. I think of Daniel. Daniel, while others were going about in Babylon, Daniel was constantly going, and he opened the window. 
And he would kneel in prayer and he would pray to God multiple times throughout the day. And it really irritated everybody around him. Who do you think you are? Well, I'll tell you who he is. He's a man of God who's touched the heart of God. God heard his prayers and answered them. Who goes before lions and walks out unscathed? Daniel does. Why? Because he's special? No. No, no more special than any one of us. Because he touched the heart. He moved. He pursued him with all his heart. Seek the Lord with all your heart. You will find him, he says. Seek the Lord with all your heart. You will find him. Over and over we have David. David in Psalms 27 verse 4. David says, I seek the Lord. I seek your, Lord, I, I seek your face. David would make that audacious prayer. I seek your face. I desire to see you, behold you, that my face may be made radiant in your presence. David would say that because he had those encounters earlier when he was out in the field as a young shepherd boy. And he had those moments as he would worship night in, day in, night in, day in. And he got to know God and it flowed out of his life. God, out of that I want to know you. And God would say, he's a man after my own heart. Why? Because David pursued him and understood the heart of the Father. I don't know if it's the cry of anybody here this morning, your heart, God, may I know you as you desire to be made known by me. May I know you. May I know you. When you seek his face, he remembers your face. One of the great illustrations that I'm now going to talk about here for the next few minutes is Esther. Because Esther is an incredible example from the book of Esther of someone who started at the bottom, a peasant, Parents are gone, taken, killed. She's raised by an older cousin. Has so many disadvantages. She's not even of the kingdom of the king. And she's paraded into this place that she would be prepared because she had some natural beauty. She would be one out of, and we don't know, between 400 to 1,500 women that would potentially be the next queen. Kind of an interesting weekend with King Charles III, coronation, Esther would be the queen of the king and the process. Here she, the, the queen of Persia, most beautiful woman in the, the empire. She would be paraded before, and she won. She won. With all those contestants, Esther won. And you have to think, of, the, of all those beautiful women, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of beautiful women, and when Esther won, and the king chose her, you have to wonder, of all the women of the 23 nations represented that day, what was Esther's secret? Why was Esther chosen and not me? A good question, and there is an answer. It's found in Esther chapter 2, verse 15. Esther chapter 2, verse 15. I'm going to read it to you, verse 15. When the turn came for Esther... To go to the king. Now note these words. If you have your Bible, I invite you to mark them, underline them, highlight them. She asked for nothing other than what Haggai, the king's eunuch, who was in charge of the harem, suggested. Mark that. We can slip over that, but that is the key. That is the key. She asked for nothing other than what Haggai, the king's eunuch, who was in charge of the harem, suggested. And Esther won the favor of everyone who saw her. She won the favor. That verse seems innocent enough, just there. 
But that verse is the verse for this morning. Let me back it up a little bit. King Xerxes. King Xerxes has somebody, and I'm going to introduce him on the scene because his name is mentioned here in verse 15. She asked for nothing other than what? Haggai. Everybody say Haggai. Haggai. Okay, let's talk about Haggai for a minute. Haggai is a very important person in this story because her secret to the heart of the king had to do with Haggai. Haggai. Who's Haggai? Who's this? Not, not Haggai, the prophet. It's different spelling. Who's this Haggai? Well, Haggai was a chamber, a chamberlain. He would be one who was no ordinary chamberlain. A chamberlain means he had access to the king's chambers, the king's bedroom. And I don't mean in a weird, kinky way, right? The king trusted him with his brides. Now, that's not easy when you're the big gun and you have to trust somebody with your, your bride. It's not an easy thing to do. The chamberlain, Haggai, was entrusted with the intimate things of the king. He was most trusted by the king. He was in charge by given by order of Xerxes, the king. Haggai was given charge over all the women. So is it safe to say the king really, 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 really trusted him if he's in charge of the women? It's obvious that Haggai's no ordinary eunuch. He's a eunuch. Hundreds of eunuch would serve in the king's palace. But Haggai was an officer of the state, and he was of the highest standard. He was the keeper of the women. We see this in the story. In terms of Persian palace, history tells us that chamberlains were also eunuchs. What's a eunuch? Well, a eunuch was a man who had been cruelly castrated so that the king could trust him with no mixed motives. Now, okay, that, that was their time. I'm kind of thankful that doesn't happen today. Eunuch was castrated so that they were not a threat to the throne. A eunuch would be less likely to subvert the king's lover because it's unlikely he would have a desire for the king's bride. That's why that happened. It was standard. And it is certain that a eunuch could not father a child that might be fostered off on the king as a royal heir because he couldn't. So there was the precaution taken to these men, castration, that was a prerequisite for them being a eunuch in the palace so that they could never be a threat. They could never claim heir. They could never have one of theirs sired and the king think it's his. Wouldn't happen. That was tradition, customs. Here's what I'm trying to get at here. I wonder how many times today, I wonder how many times can the king of king entrust his bride to us? Or maybe ask this another way. How many of the offspring of our own ideas have been passed off as the king's? Or 
Does worship and service to God begin to focus more on us and what we want than on what God wants and who he is? We begin to take credit for what's only the king's. Following. It's a big problem in the church today. It's a big problem. We begin to focus on me. We, it's about me. It's when we gather in the house of the Lord, it's about me. It's about what God's going to do for me. And, and we begin to set things in place, policies, procedures. It's about me. And one of the things that is key in the story of studying Esther is that her focus was to the eunuch because the eunuch knew the king and the eunuch was in charge of the women and there's some sort of a relationship here that is going to take her from the lowest to the highest in a matter of a few years, and she would have the heart of the king. And it had to do with the place of a eunuch, someone who would not subvert the king's heart. You see, when I seek his face, when I seek his heart, when I come before him and praise him for who he is, and I pursue him, not for what he's going to do for me, but for who he is then I have stepped out of the many into the few and I begin to move through the courts of the Lord into the inner chambers because most hang out in the outer courts shouting and making their appeals there and not moving into the inner courts where the king is and knowing only him. Oh God, how do we? How lovely is your dwelling place? My soul faints pants for the courts. It's not hanging out in the outside. It's not making my claims. It's not staking my ground. And the story here is a, is a story that really depicts how it is to move into the inner chambers. I believe God is still looking for chamberlains who will not divert the love of the church towards themselves. We work hard not to sing songs just about me, 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 and what he can do for us. Those are okay, because he does. But first and foremost and primarily, oh God, who are you? Who is you? <laughs> and how do I attribute praise and glory and honor and praise to you and you alone? Magnify yourself in our midst. You be adored. You be glorified. Lord, it's about you. It's not about me. It's not about what you can do for me. It's about God. That's worship. And the other somewhat subverts it back and beginning to claim for ourselves what was meant simply for him. Or in the house of the, in the body of Christ, beginning to take credit. Or we begin to take the affections of the bride. You know, it's competition, who's doing what. And, and, and we begin to compete instead of being of absolutely no threat to the king. As a chamberlain, Haggai had the privileged access into the inner chambers. Haggai would know the temperament of the king like no one else's business. He knew what the king liked. He knew what the king didn't like. He knew where favor flowed from the king. He knew what gained favor because he lived in the inner chambers by the king. Chamberlains were not exiled to the outer courts, hence their name, Chamberlain. They had access to the inner chambers. Chamberlains are people in whose presence the king is comfortable with them. He invites them in. They know him like no one else knows him. They trust him. He trusts them. Haggai's primary task assigned to him in the story of Esther was to keep the maidens 
The king's looking for a queen. So, hey, guys, put in charge the most trusted. Hey, guys, put in charge to keep watch on all the candidates that would go before the king. To keep them. Now, the word keep is interesting. Dictionary definition, the way you keep someone is, quote, to hedge about as with thorns, guards, protect, attend to, mark, observe, preserve, regard, reserve, save, wait for, watch over. Wow, one word has a lot of meaning. And I am sure all of this and more was involved in keeping hundreds of these gorgeous ladies ready to meet the king. The eunuch in charge, the chief chamberlain, was also apparently the pageant director, the master of ceremonies for Xerxes. Uh, this international beauty contest, a guy was in charge of that too. He had a big role. According to the Bible, Esther stood out to Haggai early in the pageantry process. Go back to verse 8. Esther chapter 2, verse 8. I'm going to read it. When the king's order and edict, edict had come and proclaimed, many young women were brought to the citadel of Susa and were put under the care of Haggai. Okay, there's Esther also was taken to the king's palace and entrusted to Haggai who had charge of the harem. Now, verse 9. Watch this. She pleased him, Esther. She pleased him and won his favor. Immediately he, pried, he provided her with beauty treatment, special food. He assigned her to seven female attendants selected from the king's palace and moved her and her attendants into the best place in the harem. Here's the thing. Something about Esther stood out from all the other hundreds of women because when her turn came, she alone was chosen as the one to be queen of King Xerxes. Rabbinic tradition maintains that Esther was one of the most foremost beautiful Jewish women of all time in rabbinic tradition to this day. One of the foremost beautiful Jewish women of all time. The scripture makes it plain that she was beautiful. Yes, on the outside, she was lovely. But there was something about Esther that was beyond pleasing to the eye. She was pleasing to the heart. Something that stirred the inner part. Although quite beautiful, something else set her apart. Brings me to the first of two steps. One, Esther would listen, would just listen. Night after night, for up to four years, these young women would be paraded. Remember, there could be up to 1,500 of them. Would be paraded to a once-in-a-lifetime date with the king. And just before their appointed time came, each woman was taken on a no-limit, no-boundaries shopping spree. Who here wouldn't like that? Raise your hands. Okay. John, John. Okay, thank you, John. John. No limit. I mean, think about it. You've got the king's premium card, his credit card. You can get anything. And the women were treated to unlimited shopping. They were 
because they have, they have a chance to go before the king. They were to do whatever it took to prepare themselves. We know that. Whatever it took. And it could be extravagant. I'm trying to think what would they get. <laughs> I'm not the best person to ask. The chamberlain would take them to the best places. Remember, he's in charge. Chamberlain would make sure they had the best of anything they needed. I could picture them out looking and shopping and picking up. I Probably servants upon... We know Esther had seven servants. Servant upon servants, lugging maybe boxes and gowns and jewelry and shoes and more shoes and more shoes. Cost didn't matter. You had the privilege of shopping with an unlimited budget. It's not your money. It's his money. <laughs> Sweet. Can you imagine all the stuff bought? Purchase, because they have one shot before the king. You're going to look good. You're going to look real good. I wonder what the chamberlain thought watching candidate after candidate, sniffing through the perfumes and the different fragrance, getting different jewelry, trying it on, see what goes with what, all that stuff. Haggai would watch every one of them go through. He had no doubt become accustomed to the excitement of these young maidens with unbelievable purchases, watching them just go to town on this. But there was one, the scripture says there was one maiden who stood out. One stood out. It was Esther. She stood out from all the rest. How do we know? Let's go back to Esther chapter 2, verse 15. When the turn came for Esther to go to the king, she asked for nothing. Everybody say nothing. Now that's kind of disappointing if you have an unlimited credit card. Nothing? She asked for nothing other than what Haggai, the king's eunuch, suggested. You see, it wasn't about her. It wasn't about her dream coming true. It wasn't about looking good for others to say, man, you look good. You look hot. Had none, no. We read, she asked for nothing other than what the eunuch suggested. And then right after that, it says, and Esther won the favor of everyone who saw her. So we know it didn't have to do with the clothes. It didn't have to do with the the jewelry didn't have to do with the perfumes. It didn't have to do with the hair. Didn't have to do with the beauty treatments. It didn't have to do with all the clothes, the shoes. Right? It didn't have to do with that. Esther won favor, and none of it was what she picked. She asked for nothing. Her focus turned to Haggai, and she made herself Available. She listened to Haggai. Haggai, what do you suggest? You know the king. I don't. She had never met him. She's heard rumors. She had seen Queen Vashti parade herself before. She didn't know the king. But Haggai spent day in, day out with the king. Haggai, you know the king. You know his heart. And I listen to you. And Haggai would see the women by the hordes treating themselves. This is a once in a life. They know the chances of them actually becoming queen is so limited. So they're going to have a good time. Because 
everything they get, they were allowed to keep. So get a lot. But Esther wasn't concerned with that. Her concern was what pleases the king. And she doesn't know what pleases the king. So she asks someone who does what pleases the king. And she makes herself available. That little phrase, she asked for nothing other than what Haggai, the king's eunuch who was in charge of the harem, suggested. That little, that little part speaks such volumes about Esther's story. Esther knew the chamberlain had direct access to the inner chambers of the king. Haggai was authorized to enter the deepest recesses of the palace because he had official trust. He had been there a long time. He had acquired great authority due to his loyalty to the king. The chamberlain had seen maidens come and had seen maidens go. There's no evidence he begrudged them anything for what they did. This was their one opportunity to live a dream, if even for a moment. He didn't begrudge that to them. However, Haggai's practical eye caught Esther, or should I say, she caught his eye. She looked at all the expensive stuff, the beautiful dresses, but the problem she had was she just didn't know what the king liked. What was the king's favorite color? What style does he like? This time with the king wasn't about her likes. It was about his likes. And when she asked for the eunuch's advice, he realized she just might be the one. Because most don't do that. Most don't pursue him for who he is and not for what he can give them. Hmm. Yeah, it's true. I guess here's the point. How do we make our choices as the bride of Christ in how we approach God? How do we make our choices? When we come to the house of the Lord, what kind of choices do we make already today? Sometimes we walk into his house and we get upset if such and such didn't talk to me. Or if that seat wasn't available, as Lord was saying. <laughs> or the worship leader didn't choose the right songs. Not enough contemporary, too much contemporary, too fast, too slow, too much singing, not enough music. Again, the truth must be stated. We are not the objects of worship. Jesus, the bride, Jesus. Jesus is the object. And Esther's secret was that she valued the Chamberlain's advice over her own opinion. And then the second part, she listened. She listened. The second part, step two, she sought out someone who had already been there. James says, be doers of the word, not hearers only. Esther gained favor because she heard a word from the chamberlain. She listened to him, but not only did she listen, she did what she heard. It wasn't simply for what he thought, and then she went about doing what she did anyway. She listened to him. And when he began to reveal the, the heart of the king, it's called total and absolute obedience. Total and absolute obedience. I don't hold back. It's not cut and dry. How much can I get away? You, if that's the way you live, great. You'll always be in the outer court. Always be in the outer court. You want the heart of the king? Then not only do you listen and you wait and you listen and you listen, but when you detect his heart, you do it. You do it. You don't cut deals. 
You just do it. We have this here where, really, I'm going to just say it. Haggai was one of Esther's greatest secrets. So all the maidens want to know how come she got to be the queen. You want to know her secret? It's Haggai. Haggai was her secret. And I guess the question I ask myself, I ask you, who is your Haggai? Who's your Haggai? Who's the one? Where do you go to find him or her who's been in the chambers with God? I've discovered I'm, a, I'm an avid reader. I read a lot. But I don't read any book. It's a lot of stuff I don't read. A lot of stuff is given to me to read. I'm pretty fussy about what I read, though. I want to read from somebody who's been to the chambers. I want to find out a bit of their history. Have they known him? Have they walked with him? Is there, is there fruit flowing out of their lives? And then I want, to, I want to listen to them. Because there's a lot of voices out there. You, you, you can tune in, right, media, right? What are you listening to? What are you being influenced by? Be careful, be careful. Who's your Haggai? Who's mostly speaking into your life? From there you will flow. There will be your affections. And then we wonder where God is. How come he's not revealing himself? It's not God. He's, he's not moved. <laughs> We've just not pursued him. Listening to the Haggai and then doing. So who's your Haggai? I read this poem to my Acts group on Wednesday night. I have an Acts group. We've been studying the book of Acts, the church in motion. I'm going to read it to you this morning. It's called The Rhyme One Sunday Morn. It happened in the vestibule at 10 one Sunday morn. A haggard-looking churchgoer sat plaintiff and forlorn. Then suddenly he rose and found a hungry-looking Christian. He took his hand, took him aside, and asked him a straight question. You've read the word. You know the book. The promises are clear. But have you seen the living God? Have you found him here? Have you experienced holy fire, the spirit in his power, a mighty wave, a rushing wind, a flame that does devour? Is there something more you're seeking? So high, so wide, so deep. Do you find yourself frustrated? Is church putting you to sleep? Then listen well, your heart is right. My tale I will tell. This story is your story too, and it's your tale as well. For 30 years I've been in church. It seems like a good show. But now I've got to meet with God. Do you know where to go? I'm trapped in mundane worship times. The praises have grown cold. My soul is dry and dusty. My passion stale like mold. We lack the heavenly presence. It's clear we're in a rut. I'm desperate for revival. It burns within my gut. I'm lovesick for my Jesus. So hungry for my Lord. Just longing for my Savior. God knows that I'm so bored. Is there someone who can help me? Who's touched the real thing? A man who's heard from heaven with a word from God to bring. Are there prophets burning with fire, servants who are ablaze, anointed and overflowing, appointed for these days, 
Do they carry the Spirit's burden and breathe the Lord God's breath? Are they set apart and holy, obedient to death? Oh, please, don't do as I have done and waste so many years. Don't wait and wait for endless months. Move on. Outgrow your fears. Enough with man's religion. Enough with earthly plans. Enough with our new programs produced by fleshly hands. Oh, beloved, enter the prayer room and shut yourself inside. Be emptied of this world around you and rise against its pride. Let's pray for holy visitation. Caught up with him alone. Consumed with heavenly vision. That's where we must begin. We can't find him in a textbook buried on page 22. He is the living God who acts to move in me and you. Let's arise. Get up. Pursue him. Jesus, our true best friend. He is worthy of devotion. And he is faithful to the end. Why do we starve on crusty bread and crawl along the ground? Our Savior is our source of life. Seek him. Let joy abound. We can't find him in our planners. No seminar has the key. We'll find him when our soul cries out, there must be more for me. The parishioner then turned his gaze away from flesh and blood. He looked to him who sends the showers, to him who sends the flood. Today, O oh Lord, do hear our voice and pour your spirit out. Saturate the thirsty ground. End this spiritual drought. Revive us with your presence. Renew us from above. Touch the flock called by your name. Come, fill us with your love. Do greater works in our day than that which you have done. Bring the fullness of your reigns and glorify your Son. Now, if you listen closely, beyond this little rhyme, perhaps you'll hear the voice of God giving you his reply. My children, it is time. So I ask again, who's your Haggai? Who's your Haggai? Tradition tells us that everything the young virgins wore that night, no matter what, became their personal property. Guaranteed, many went before the king with the most expensive clothes, and every finger rings on them layers of necklaces. I'm sure they thought they looked irresistible. Esther, however, would not take advantage of the king's riches for personal gain. Imagine, imagine Esther walking into the king's presence with elegant simplicity, perhaps wearing beautiful but simple attire, maybe one piece of jewelry. The point being this, something about the entry of Esther stood out that day when she went before the king because she didn't want the king's gold. She wanted him. Didn't want what he would do for her, but what she could do for him. Wow. God, 
May the prayer of this season reignite that which often makes us more interested than the gifts, but may we move to be more interested in the giver. Don't be one of them that come to get good feelings and blessings more to get overcoming to give your king everything. And yet, you get nothing if you don't seek him. Success comes to those who learn to listen to the chamberlain of the king. Hmm. There's a song that we sang back a few years ago. I remember it came out from uh, that group, Petra. Remember Petra? Anybody remember Petra? <laughs> yes, BJ, I knew you would. Okay. Petra was uh, an old Christian rock and roll band. Not that old. <laughs> they did a song, one of their first songs. I remember my parents hated it. I listened to it as a teenager. God gave rock and roll to us. And my parents hated it because she, they were sure he didn't. And I was sure he did. God gave rock and roll to us. I don't know. But then they talked about the rock that never rolled. It was Jesus, right? So, But there was a song they did, and it was called, it was this. Uh, Take me past the outer courts into the holy place. Past the brazen altar. Lord, I want to see your face. Pass me by the crowds of people. And the priests who sing your praise, because I hunger and I thirst for your righteousness, but it's only found one place, and then the chorus. Take me into the holy of holies. Take me in by the blood of the lamb. Take me into the holy of holies. Take coals, touch my lips. Here I am. Thanks for listening to the Aurora Cornerstone podcast. Remember to subscribe. For more information about our church and our ministries, visit auroracornerstone.ca.